This sermon, Forgiven Much, was preached by Tom Wilkins on Sunday, May 21st, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. If you would stand with me and if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. You're a guest with us this morning. Welcome. It's good to have you with us. It's good to have you here. Standing in honor of the Lord's word, we're going to be reading chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Thank you. Let's read together God's word, beginning in verse 36, chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's home and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I have entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You may be seated. Please pray with me.
Father, my prayer this morning is that you would grant us eyes to see that the eyes of our very soul would see. Lord, I also ask that you would grant us ears to hear, that the very ears of our soul would hear, that we would see and hear. that you're gracious and merciful and forgiving of sinners. And that it would change us to be gracious and merciful to those that have sinned. Why would we not, Lord? If you have forgiven us so much, why would we not? Forgive. Lord, I pray, according to the text, that the result would be that we would love you much because you have forgiven us of much. I pray for any person present that is without the Savior, They've not believed in Christ. They have heard of him, but they they've only heard. But they haven't believed. I pray today you'd be merciful and that they would see and they would know that you are able to forgive much. Lord, strengthen your church by helping us remember how much you love us. Help us remember how much you have forgiven us. Lord, as I have the privilege to tell the old, old story again, be faithful. Be faithful to be with us again. What a joy to know that you're present with us. We have your very word. Holy Spirit, you're present. Now move and open our eyes and our ears. In the name of Jesus, that we would have delight in him. And love him more. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. This is one of those moments for me that it seems like it would be a captain in the airline saying we're about to head into a bumpy uh, area. Uh, fasten your seatbelts. But for me, what I mean is this is going to be a tough message for me to preach without me reaching those moments of difficulty emotionally because it is an emotional text. So I'm asking you ahead of time to bear with me. I'm praying for God's self-control. But here's one thing I'm also asking uh, for us. This is not in my outline. Is that you would also be able to get in touch with the emotion that is clearly in the text. My desire today is that we would appropriately understand sin, the gravity of sin, and in so doing that our love for Jesus would explode with new affections for the Savior. There are a lot of things that keep us back from understanding who Jesus is, but I'm praying, and my desire is that if we understand the gravity of our sin and that God has come in forgiveness of us, that our love for Jesus would explode with new affections for him. There will be many unanswered questions, but my desire is that this one would be at least begin to be answered and that new love and affections for the Savior would come forth. And to understand the scene that we've just read here in chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, 
To understand that scene, we have to go back to the first century into a very very different culture. Different customs are at work and to understand what is actually happening in this Pharisee's home with the people that are present. Listen closely to how Kent Hughes brilliantly brings us, brings us here in the 21st century into this first century home. Can't write these words. Whatever the reason for Simon's inviting Jesus to dine with him, they were overlaid with the nasty animosity for Simon purposefully omitted the common courtesies accorded any honored guest during that time. Normally, the host placed his hand on the guest's shoulder and gave him a kiss of peace. This was not done for Jesus. Customarily, a guest's sandals were removed and his feet were washed when he entered or while he reclined at the table, thus removing the dust of the street and refreshing him. Jesus' feet were left embarrassingly dirty. Dinner guests were also anointed with a touch of olive oil, but there was no such kindness for Jesus. Simon treated Jesus with callous, calculated contempt. He carefully avoided every custom that would have made the Lord feel at home. All the guests and onlookers also knew it as they took their place around the table. In that day, the homes homes of well-to-do people were built around central courtyards in which formal meals were served. The guests reclined on the left elbow now low-lying or on low-lying couches, eating with the right hand, one's feet would extend away from the table in keeping with the belief that the feet were unclean and offensive by nature. At such occasions, the doors of the home were kept open and uninvited townspeople were free to wander in and observe the conversation. Typically, there was a great deal of coming and going by onlookers. So... Many people, in addition to Simon's guests, were aware that Jesus had been slighted by his, or as his grimy feet extended behind him for all to see. Everyone sensed that a lively exchange was imminent, but no one expected what followed. It began with a chorus of murmurs as a woman, a woman, emerged from the shadows and silently stood at the feet of Jesus. So stay with me in the first century as we move on. This scene, by the way, now that we understand it, boy, doesn't God's word preach itself so clearly. My outline is simple. And I'll even give you the amount of information in these three points. Three points. Our sins are many. Point one. Point three. Our, excuse me, Jesus forgives them all. So point one, our sins are many. Then Jesus forgives them all. And those two are very tightly held together, of course, and together held with this last one. So we love Jesus much. Spend more time in one. A little less time in two. We're not going to miss it, though. We're not going to miss how much Jesus forgives. And then uh, point three, we'll get to. We love him much. Point one, our sins are many. The opening words of this text, if you look in verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, These words in the original language would have been communicating a shock. In fact, one of the translators used this phrase, look, a woman. Now, you and I don't get that, but originally they would have got it. In that first century, when they heard these words being retold about this story, they would have been shocked that a woman is the one that's breaking into the scene. All the people coming in, observing, observing what's happening, a woman And to add to the difficulty and the uncomfortableness, it is clear that this woman is very likely a prostitute, and it's known to everyone around. 
It was, she likely was infamous or notorious. She would have been known. It wouldn't have been published, but it would have been known. And so this woman, shockingly a woman, is also a sinner. It's a particular type of woman standing behind the reclining Savior of the world, a sinner. The scene couldn't be more rich. And she begins to uncontrollably weep. If it wasn't already difficult or awkward, this woman cannot contain herself. She begins to uncontrollably weep. And then wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. In fact, in the original description, these tears are described like rainfall from her eyes to the Savior's feet. Who knows why, but she would fall at his feet and somehow maybe even attempt to try to wipe up what she clearly can see. She's making a mess. Or she's doing what she can as she undoes her hair and does what Simon the Pharisee would not do, and that's to wipe, to wipe her Savior's feet. I call her her Savior because without doubt, as we get into the scene, she has already been radically changed by Jesus. She has come into this household to see him. She heard he's there, so she's come to him. She is now a new one, a new one of his. She's come to him. Maybe this is the first encounter that she personally is having with Jesus. It likely is. Maybe she heard him at a distance declaring the kingdom of God. She's hearing his disciples declare that there is forgiveness for her. She has heard of story after story of sinner after sinner being forgiven. And she purposefully has believed in Christ because Christ has moved on her. And now she has found him personally. And not only are her tears like rainfall dripping on his feet and her taking her long hair and wiping his feet with her hair, she kisses his feet. The tense in the original language, this Greek word would have been that she kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed the Savior's feet. That's why we with the English language that we have in the translation. Describe it the way we have. It's good for us to understand this original language. It reminded me of Mark 15, 19, as the soldiers would gather around Jesus and mock him. And the same type of verb And they were striking his head with a reed. Striking Jesus again and again and again and again and again. And now this woman, similar grammar, kisses and kisses and kisses the Savior's feet. Then she bursts open an alabaster flask. It's common that these would have been worn worn around the neck. It was super valuable. You kept it on yourself to guard it and protect it. And she took it and broke it out and poured it on the Savior's feet. And all of this was outside of the social norm. And worse, even judged as inappropriate and unacceptable. This kind of woman, this prostitute, should not have even come into the Pharisee's house Um, ceremonially, now making his house unclean. Her presence making even this Pharisee himself unclean and everybody present. She certainly should not have been touching anyone as well, making them further unclean. And Jesus makes no attempt to stop her. And with perfume in the air, the room had fallen silent except for this woman's weeping. In verse 39, look with me, verse 39. This Pharisee is incensed by what's happening. And so he 
mutters to himself. The original language makes it very clear. These are thoughts this man is having, but they are not hidden thoughts, and we find that out because Jesus immediately responds to him. But with perfume in the air, in verse 39, the Pharisee speaks to himself silently. In the darkened recesses of this Pharisee's mind and thoughts and words regarding the sovereign one over the heavens and the earth, if this man were a prophet, and boy, if he knew who was present, he would have never uttered those words. If this man were a prophet, these dark thoughts from a dark soul that is lost and a heart whose eyes are blind and that cannot see the very one who's in his own home. And then breaking the silence is the voice of the king of kings. He answers him, Simon, I have something to say to you, verse 40. Let's read on. And Simon answered him, say it, teacher. A certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500. And he goes on and tells this parable to this Pharisee. He owed 500 denarii and the other 50. These two men, huge debt. The other one, little debt. Unpayable debt is really in the original. Maybe could take care of his debt. And when they could not pay, neither one of them could pay. They canceled, excuse me, he canceled the debt of both. Now Jesus asked Simon, which one of them will love him more. Simon answers, well, the one I suppose. I mean, wouldn't it have been clear to you if you'd been asked this question? It would have been clear to me. I think everyone in the room would have thought, this is an easy one, Simon. If you heard his real question, this is an easy one. And so he does answer accordingly, the one I suppose for whom had the debt Excuse me, he had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then notice an interesting occurrence in verse 44. Jesus turns toward the woman. Put yourself in the scene. You're observing in the room. And you see Jesus asking Simon a question. And then saying, Simon, you've answered correctly. And then Jesus looks at her. And he will not stop looking at her. And he directs his questions at Simon. With his eyes fixed on this woman, he says in verse 44, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. and You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, while still looking at her and speaking to Simon, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Point number one, our sins are many. And now, point number two, Jesus forgives them all. Verse 48, he makes this declaration to her pulls his eyes back off of Simon and the stiff rebuke of this heartless, blind, and deaf sinner himself and looks at her. Your sins are forgiven. Verse 50, and again speaking to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. a beautiful moment for her. 
Verse 47 reminds us her sins, which are many, all are forgiven. The greatness of Jesus' forgiveness meets every last one of her sins. Not a single sin that this woman has committed, and the list is long. It's known only by God, but it is known by some. None of them will escape his forgiveness. He meets every one of her sins, the adultery, the uncleanness, the impurities of thought and deed, the dark nights this woman was involved in, the ruined men, the ruined families, the evil plans, the manipulation, the rebellion against her Lord, her hatred of God himself. Every single one of her sins have been forgiven. Not one is left unforgiven. None of these, none were left on her. We'll know later that Jesus will take all of her sin and bear it on himself and bear it on the cross and every last one of them on himself. He'll say, you're forgiven. What a glorious moment for her when she discovers all of her sins have been forgiven and she's being reminded again that all of her sins forgiven. And you and I, this morning, as we look at the text, we must believe also along with her, there is not one sin that Christ has not forgiven. If you've believed in Christ, if you've placed your faith in him, there's none reserved over there that you're going to have to pay for one day. You will not, because he's forgiven every last one of them. Boy, if there was ever a past sense of her crying and loving and kissing of the Lord's feet, kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing. The original tense would mean she would continue to kiss his feet in that sense forever. What a great response that all of our sins have been forgiven forever. And so she loves him forever. Our sins, they are many, and Jesus forgives them all. But now, let's look at point three. We love Jesus much. Oh, often you'll hear me say with one hand, hold on to this truth, and with the other hand, now begin to get hold of this truth. And I'm going to ask you again, don't forget the first points that we've been looking at, that all of our sins, which are many, and we know this in the text, all of these women's sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Don't let go of that as we now look at loving Jesus, because here's our problem. You and I are tempted to forget how much we have been forgiven. In fact, we underestimate how much we have been forgiven. In fact, in our pride, we think we were really bad, but not that bad. I mean, even as I consider what this woman must have been like, I could privately think, I've never done that. So I need to remember. I need to remember and hold fast to what we know from the truth, from God's word, from verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many. I'll consider for a moment who is making this statement. I remember being a kid. You have to know my mom. She is like the most precious person in the world. And she's also got an edge to her as well. And maybe some of the kids in here are remembering their mom. I'm talking about all the older kids, like those that are in their 59s and above. You loved your mom. She's the most precious thing ever. And by the way, I have said this to my mom directly. Isn't that how we get out of trouble? We say, well, I would have said this to her face. Uh, my mom knows this. But here's what I meant by the edge. My mom taught me early on that there is an all-seeing eye watching you, watching you. And the older ones in the room are like, that's because that's in a song. I don't know why we write songs like that, but there is a verse out there in the song that says, there's an all-seeing eye watching you, watching you. And I remember hearing that as a kid, like, why would they write a song like that? That is scary. Lauren told me months ago, our daughter, she's 30, she married our worship leader, Brett, if you're new to us. Lauren said, Dad, I remember you laying by my bed at night and praying a hedge of protection around me. 
and that the angels would encamp around me. I don't remember the prayer. I remember her in bed praying that. And then say, Lord, drive away the demons from her. Keep protect her. Save her. And then I would leave the bedroom while she's left there thinking, what am I needing to be protected from? Why do we do that as parents? My mom would also say things like this, be sure your sins will find you out. Uh, those are inspired words from the Lord, not written by some songwriter. Be sure your sins will find you out. Our sins are many, and they will find us out. So now we begin to consider what the effect after being forgiven by Christ is, that we would love him much. There's that original sense in the language again in verse 47 and 48 where we have that verb forgiven and it is what's called the perfect tense meaning forgiven or a forgiving that began in the past. It continues in the present and points to eternal forgiving. I'm the kind of Christian that normally camps in this world. Lord, Thank you for forgiving me. Lord, forgive me now. And I forget that it is actually a perfect tense. Lord, you were forgiving me and are forgiving me and will forgive me forever. He forgives first. And then only then we begin to love in response to what he has done. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Now we begin to understand how it's possible that we would love Jesus much. It's when we remember and not let go of how depraved we really were, how deep our sins really are, and how his forgiveness has touched and forgiven every single one of them and every one of them that will come. This is why this woman loves Jesus much. She sees that her sins, though they are many, have been forgiven, every single one of them, and he will not stop forgiving her. And this should not have been the case. Jesus, Jesus should have seen every single one of her sins. And by the way, he does know of all of her sins. He's seen every one of them, every private night, every private thought. He knew what this woman was doing. He was there every single time, seeing it all, knowing it all, and personally knowing what David would write. Those sins were against him personally. She did not go looking for Jesus. Imagine what her story was before this evening, before this dinner, what her story was. Actively engaged in her sin, lost and being sinned against is one of the implications as well for this poor woman. And then she heard of one who could come to her and had the power to forgive everything. She didn't go looking for him. The good news about him came to her. Grace, Jesus, the Savior, the Holy Spirit, the Father, all on the scene all on the scene, sought her out and saved her. The amazing thing about grace and the grace of God is that it calls us out by his great love, his forgiveness, and he saves us for this purpose, this, this purpose, this purpose. This is why he saved us. so that we would find him, if I could say that. And that we would humbly approach him and fall at his feet 
would worship him. Worship him like no other time. Love him because of our great debt that's been forgiven. You may not be an emotional person. I have no judgment for you. I promise I don't. And my ability to be emotional is mostly a weakness, I would say. But I am praying that you would not remain emotionless. I don't care how tough you think you are. God's forgiveness of you, his forgiveness of me. Should break us while it heals us and drive us to our knees before him. And so we discover this and we love him and we exalt him and we honor him. You know, the Pharisee that's present, he gets a lengthy, out of the text, he gets a lengthy rebuke. But it's because Jesus so desires that, he's, that he hears what he needs. A Pharisee's primary problem was that he's a sinner. And attached to that is he thinks he's righteous before God. And Jesus is saying, you are not clean. You think this woman is unclean. And at length, he tries to get through to the Pharisee. You have no honor for me, the promised one. You are blind, the Savior who has come. And by the way, I'm not just come on the planet and you have heard me. You have now seen me. I'm in your home and you disregard me. You must see how desperate you need forgiveness. We're not given what is left for the Pharisee later. Could this have been a scene that saves this Pharisee later? It's outside of the text. I can't get to it. But we do know this. That this woman may have seen the guests, I mean this uh, Pharisee's dishonor of Jesus. And that also is why she moves in and she rushes in. Because she may be, may be considering, do you realize who's here? Why have you not done what you should have done? I mean, even simply, why have you not done what you should have done? But she may have stopped before she made that declaration and just saying, do you see who he is? I do. I've been forgiven. And then it's all about Christ. Luther describes her tears. The reformer, Martin Luther, describes her tears as heart tears. The scene does rush in on her, and it meets her, and it meets her heart. This is only filled with gratitude and honor, and this thrusts her forward in a beautiful flood of loving honor of her forgiver. She cannot contain herself. So Luther describes her tears as heart tears. She cannot contain that which floods her heart for Jesus. It does not matter. It does not matter who will see in the room. It does not matter who may know of this later. No fear of man will stop her. Maybe even surprising to herself, she finds herself at the feet of the one who has forgiven her soul. And that propels her towards her Savior. Well, our affections have been elsewhere all the while. We've been loving this and we've been loving that. And in the end... We've been loving ourselves. The center of this world and of our and the center of this world and of our flesh is the need to love yourself. Sin has so convinced us 
that this, loving yourself, is the end of all of our existence. Self-esteem or self-love, it's printed in our books. It's taught in our schools. It's on our playground. It's at the dinner table. It's in our news feeds, on our favorite blog, in our music. And sadly, we've heard that sometimes this is in our pulpits. But for you and I, we know from our text today, the deeper we understand, really the overarching maybe summary of what we're looking at, gosh, if I could even summarize this, the deeper we understand what the Word says about our sins, the greater the depth of our love for Jesus is. Let that big idea arrest your attention. The deeper we understand what the Word says about our sin, the greater the depth of our love for Jesus. We cannot or we should not contain ourselves. The depth of our love for Jesus reveals what we believe about the greatness of our sins and the greatness of His forgiveness. So let it go in that sense for the Savior. Don't restrain yourself. He has not restrained himself. He could have restrained himself, but he gave everything this woman needed for her to be forgiven. The days are going to come that he pours out his very precious blood as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice for our sins and for this woman's sins. So consider the Pharisee now. Simon has no awareness of the depth and magnitude of his sin, and he adds to those the unforgivable sin of rejecting Christ. In verse 30, we see this, rejecting the very purpose of God. He is likely even left out of the parable himself, not even being counted as either of the two debtors or, or love even, excuse me, who love even to some degree of their response Chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus reveals the parables themselves have this effect on this kind of person who is self-righteous. It creates, it exposes their spiritual blindness and it creates the spiritual blindness all the more. What an indictment on our rejection of the Messiah. God will not move in mercy, he still will move. If he will not open our eyes to see this, he will leave them shut. He's not passive on the matter. God, have mercy on me that I would see. One of the commentators said this about Simon, and I would agree. Simon, Simon seemingly is willing that Jesus would have rather kicked her to the side and demanded that she leave. But he didn't. What a stark warning for us, of course. But the gospel, the good news of Christ, it reaches out and it has saved this woman and the result is a transformed life. So here are some questions for you and I. Has your life been transformed by the forgiveness of Jesus? Let it. To what degree... Are you moved by the forgiveness of Jesus? Yesterday, I sat with a couple of the men at our men's group and community group. And by the way, if you're a community group leader, this is how it goes for some of us sometimes. I'm at home. I don't even think I'm awake yet, and I get a text from one of the guys in my community group. And I'm the leader of the group, and I get a text saying, hey, did we pick the wrong spot? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be with the guys in my community group. Welcome to my community group. One of the moments in this group for me, the Lord reminded me of a situation with my son, Scotty. Bear with me, but hear the story. He's out of his mind in anger. Scotty's given me permission to tell this story, but he's out of his mind in anger. He's just a little guy. He's a scrawny little guy, just like his dad. In fact, Scotty is, at this time, bigger than I was at his age. And so I said, well, son, let's... Let's go back to the bathroom. I'll let you figure out what in the world's going to happen there. But I took him back there to bring correction to him. Our kids have funny stories about that 
bathroom at our old house. It was not big. Scotty just grits his teeth, he bears his teeth, he just screams at me with everything he's got. And as fast as he could grit and bear his teeth with me, I gritted my teeth and I reached across the room and I grabbed his little skinny arms in my hand. I remember feeling how thin his little arms were in the room and through bearing of my teeth towards my son, I said, you should not be angry with your father. To what degree have we been moved by the forgiveness of Jesus? Instantly, Scotty's no longer under discipline, by the way. And I let him go, and I just, I just sit back. I said, I'm sorry. But looking back on that for me yesterday at breakfast was helpful because it reminded me, as fast as I bear my teeth against the Savior, and as quick as I rush in and sin against with him, he's patient and will not rush in with deserving. He should reveal his teeth towards me. His wrath should burn hot against me and instantly snuff me out. And what he's rushed in with has been mercy and love and patience. He's a father who forgives immediately those that he loves. Have we forgotten that our sins are many and yet that Christ has forgiven them all? So ask this question, why do I not feel this deeply? Maybe it's because we don't see how grave our condition is or was. If that's you, you need to know how grave your condition is before the sovereign one of the universe. We seek to minimize our sinfulness. We are quick to point out the sinfulness of others, husbands. It's the woman, uh, wives. It's my husband. Angry parents point to the sins of their kids. Why do we not feel this deeply? Likely because we're loving something else and we need to repent. Maybe it's self-righteousness. That pattern of you trying to work out that debt that you have against God and sin by good behavior and so on. What is it? Maybe we need to ask this woman this question. Why do you love Jesus so much. Brett, if you could have the band come up. Maybe we need to ask this woman, why do you love Jesus so much? She might answer like this at first. Why did Jesus love me? Do you know who I was? Do you know what I've done? Why has he loved me? There was a big, tall gentleman, older gentleman in El Paso, and I'm calling him out by name, Bill Russell, because he would want to be called out by name. He's a Vietnam vet. He flew in the hunter-killer group's helicopters. And we were talking after church one day, and I heard him telling the story to person after person. He said, when I was in Vietnam, I loved to kill. I loved to kill. And if you talk to Bill, and when you heard him say it, you're like, he, he means it. So privately, I had the thought, don't make Bill upset. <laughs> but in that same testimony, he said, and then I became part of the drug trade running there in El Paso. He was part of the drug trade during the Chagra era, if you want to look it up. But in that same testimony, with an inexplicable face of joy, and he had a smile 
that was a mile wide, had quivering lips and tears in his eyes, he would declare that he loved Jesus. And he loved him so much because he had been forgiven much. So why do we love Jesus so much? He would stand with me. Why do we love him so much? I think it's because we, we admit this. We admit from this story that I am and you are the prostitute. And I need a great forgiver because my sins are many. I am the leper elsewhere in the narrative who needs to be made clean. I am the blind man who needs to be made to see. I am the paralytic by the poolside, unable to take up my mat. I am Barabbas, deserving all that is coming to me. Yet, I'm set free while the Savior was handed over to be crucified for me. Once I realize, once you realize how grave your sin really is and that God has forgiven you, will you not love him more? Let's pray. Lord, my, my prayer is that you would do a, a work that is completely outside of us. Our emotions might be ripe, and sometimes they are deceptive. We need you working outside of our emotions to save us and to convince us of your love. And you have done so in the good news of Christ that you sent him. You sent him as the Savior and that through faith in Jesus, faith alone in Jesus, are we saved. And Lord, our response needs to be birthed from you as well. Holy Spirit, move. Show us how dark our sin was but don't leave us there. Show us how amazing your love has been that you have come and have forgiven us. And move us from the inside out. So then our affections, our emotions would run in that sense, not wild and unrestrained, but maybe wild and informed. Inform us again of your great love. Show us. Show us. And then we'll marvel along with her. Why have you loved us so? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.